The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 180 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. My guest on the show, John Clark, he is an artist in almost every sense of the word. We're talking, he does uh, comic strips and he does uh, illustrations for children's books, as well as he's a musician, he's a composer, he's a singer, just remarkably talented, and we talk about it all. And we discover that John and I have met before. It was one of the most fun things that's happened on this podcast to realize that we we met more than 20 years ago, and uh, that was really fun to discover. That's all coming up for you. And this week in my Latter-day life, the line is short no matter what. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And this week here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, it is my pleasure to have on the show a true artist, a renaissance man, as it were. Uh, I mean, an artist in pretty much every form of the way, uh, every form and way possible. We'll talk about all these things. John Clark, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so happy to have you on. I appreciate it. And I mean it, like from what I can see, you're doing almost every, maybe you're not sculpting, but otherwise it's just about every form of art that uh, that you can. Uh, and we're going to get into all that. But first of all, John, let's get to know you a little bit. And I just want to share with the audience before we start, we have literally never met, never talked. So, I mean, when I say we're going to get to know you, I mean, we're I'm going to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. All right. Well, um, I was born in Michigan. Uh, we moved around a lot. Um, I, I grew up in a family of 13 children. Uh, 13 so. children. Wow. My next question was going to be whether or not you were born in the church, but I think the 13 children might answer that. that yeah, that, that kind of tipped you off. Yep. Um, yeah. And even though our audience can't see, wh- where in Michigan on the hand are you? Uh, we were in Detroit. Uh, oh, okay. Very, very. very uh, it was very brief. We we moved from Detroit to California, up to Washington State, and then we trekked all the way to Florida, and then uh, Tennessee uh, is the is where we kind of lay down roots. Um, so we were running from the law for quite some time. <laughs> what took your family to all these different places? You know, I. I think as we, as my parents had more and more children, the Lord continued to bless him and his uh, livelihood and he, he got better and better jobs. And so. Amazing. That's a lot of moving. How hard was it for you to, uh, you know, to make new friends and, and try to build roots each time you moved? Well, the great thing is you're always the new kid. You know, and that's, that's the, you know, that lasts for maybe two weeks or three, but, but that, that, that's the, that's the perk of, uh, of moving a lot. Uh, but yeah, I always get the the question, were you in the military? No, just, just, uh, we moved around quite a bit. But. Now, where do you fall in the 13 kids? I'm number three. Oh, wow. Okay. 
Yeah. So you're up at the top there. Do you, are you pretty tight with the rest of your siblings? We just had a reunion uh, in Lake Tahoe, and most of them were there. I have nine. Uh, there's nine of us that are, are natural, and then four are adopted. Oh, very cool. Uh, we were able to, most of us were able to get together. So yeah, we're, we're pretty tight. Well, that's awesome. What were you into when you were a kid? I, you know, my, my parents, primarily my mom kind of instilled, uh, in all of us, um, this idea that we could do anything. And she turned me into a dreamer really quick. So I wanted to do, you know, anything in, in just about every form of art. So I did a lot of writing. I did a lot of acting and, and, and drawing and, uh, and then I got into music about, uh, mid teens or so. And, and that ended up being my career. Yeah. Did you, did you know you instantly that you had talent for music or was it something you had to develop? Well, I, I'm sure my mom is biased, but she, she always told me I was a genius. So I, I believe that. And, uh, I went with that and, uh, it, it just came, you know, some of the things came naturally, but, um, but even the, the things that came naturally still had a lot of development, um, yeah. get where I'm at. What was your first instrument? The piano. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the foundation. Right. My, 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 my mom taught us piano lessons. Um, all of the, all of the kids had to have piano lessons before they went out to play after school. Um, but I, I, you know, I kind of took it with a grain of salt. And then uh, I remember sitting down at the piano one time, you know, it'd been probably years since I'd had any piano lessons and, and, and stuff just started coming out. And, and, and since then it was a passion did you move on to other instruments when you were younger or did you stick with piano? I got into synthesizers as mm. a young man. I I was holed up in my bedroom most of my teenage years with uh synthesizers and four track recorders and just I, I tinkering and trying to come up with music that I was, you know, crazy about all the electronic music that was out there and um uh, so yeah, uh, mostly synthesizers and, and piano. And then on my mission, I picked up the guitar and, and started kind of bran branching out from there. Uh, did you, were you doing music like more for yourself or did you ever play in a band or perform? Very little. I, I was pretty much, uh, doing my own thing and, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think I would make a career out of it. I, I wanted to, but um, I couldn't, I couldn't even, you know, apply to a music school. I just, I didn't have the, really the academic background, but mm. I loved creating things and, and playing by ear. And so I was, um, you know, that way until I went to college and, and it was in college that I started doing some music for, um, projects like student films and dance recitals and things. Oh, and so cool. Well, yeah. you mentioned you you left after high school. You went on a mission. Uh, where'd you serve your mission? Mendoza, Argentina. Oh, awesome! How was that? Uh, it was. It, it, it's like everybody says. It, it was the best two years for sure. Um, yeah, an amazing experience, and it introduced me to music from other cultures as well. So it was it was kind of neat in that regard. 
Yeah, and Argentina specifically just has beautiful heritage of music. Mm, and you said that's where that's where you uh, that's where you picked up guitar. Yeah, I bought a. I, I went to a. I think a, a pawn shop or something or some somewhere. I bought a little guitar and um, tried to learn how to play the way that uh, Argentines uh, play. I, I remember one individual teaching me how to strum the way they did. Um, the charango, I think, was the name of the the instrument that they would play, and and so I I kind of learned rhythm guitar um, there. I've never become a virtuoso on any instrument, but um, but learning enough to to get by uh, was was fantastic. We had church in our uh, in our apartment in one area, so I bought a keyboard and and I was I, the traveling uh, you know pianist for the for the branch we I'd go from room to room with my little keyboard and play for primary and then play for you know young women's and and priesthood and sacrament meeting so I got to use music on my mission uh in that in that way it was that is was awesome great. our uh you know we were out probably about the same time I was down in Chile and we had oh. tons of missionaries who bought guitars and all of them learned the song more than words all I remember is so so many <laughs> <laughs> it's like every other elder on P day was sitting there trying to learn more than words on the guitar. <laughs> that, that was definitely, I, I think that was in my repertoire. At the time. <laughs> so you come home from your mission. What came next? So came home from my mission and, uh, and I, I, I did a beeline to BYU uh, Provo and, um, and I took a lot of my equipment there and uh, actually, no, I take that back. Cause I sold most of it to go on my mission. Mm. And uh, when I got out to BYU, I, I ended up rooming with a guy who had an even better synthesizer than I had back home. So um, I use that far more than he, I mean, I don't think he ever touched it once I moved in. <laughs> That's uh, a good roommate to have. Yeah. He was really, really great. And, and so I, I kind of was the same recluse that I was in, in high school. I still socialized and, and did things, but, but I spent a lot of, a lot of time just getting better at at uh, at creating music. Yeah, very cool. Did you know what you wanted to study when you went to BYU? You know, I didn't uh, know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so my dad kind of gave me some guidance and and directed me uh, in communications um, because it's kind of a, a little bit more generic. And it turned out it was it was kind of the quickest path for me through school. Uh, so I, you know, my, my heart was in, in the arts, but you know, I, I kind of followed counsel to, to get a good degree and in something stable and, uh, and then go from there. So I, I studied communications. I started out in video production. And then when I, um, I turned the the president's hair blue on a broadcast, um, I, I realized that I wasn't a, a videographer, and I moved to media sales and management and started uh, taking that that course. But um, when it came to my internship, um, I met with the count- guidance counselor. And I said, look, I really like, you know, music. And um, there was somebody that I ran into. And I'll, I'll give you more background on this in a minute. But um, I sold music door to door. We can talk more about that if you want. Um, but somebody I ran into had, uh, a recording studio and he offered 
to give me an internship. And he was also working with a label at BYU uh, with some of the um, the faculty there. And I was able to get um, convinced my guidance counselor, the, the, you know, the person in charge of my uh, my major to let me do an internship in music um, more as a, in terms of audio production. And so I, I just followed him everywhere and just kind of learned uh, from a, an audio engineer a little bit about, about that. That is really, really cool. So did this give you some direction? Cause you're, you're kind of in a lot of different places at once here, right? You're kind of, I mean, you're looking at music, you had done some video, you had done some sales, you had done some other things. Right. Did you, did you have a clear direction by this point or were you still kind of <laughs> feeling things out here, John? You know, I, when I graduated, um, we, we, we didn't know what we were going to do because just to back up a little bit, three years before, um, right after I got married, um, we moved into our apartment and I had, uh, the living room was filled up with boxes of CDs. Mm. I decided to print a CD of the music that I'd written while I was in college. Some of the stuff I'd written for some of the projects and stuff and, and kind of compile them together. And I had this crazy idea that, uh, because I had been on a mission and because I had sold pest control, um, maybe I could market my music door to door because I really wasn't a performer, uh, you know, to, you know, to com- that could compete with somebody like Kurt Bester or any of those people. So I thought, well, I'm really good at, you know, sales or talking to people one-on-one. So I went around with a, a Sony disc man and uh, a backpack full of CDs and, promoted myself as an artist. I just went to their door and, and put headphones on their ears and, and, and hoped that that would sell my, my music. John, what was, what was the name of that CD? That first CD was called graft. The first collection, John, I have your CD. You and I have met, you came to our door and sold us a CD. I am not kidding. I have your album. I have no. graft. You came to our door in Linden, Utah and oh knocked at our door and I bought a CD from you and we listened to it for years. Oh, I, I know graft you. like by heart. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So this was before I'm not kidding. I have chills right now, John, you have been to my front door and uh, I bought a CD from you. And for years before, you know, we were, you know, young up and coming kids, sure. whatever my wife and I with not tons of money, there was no streaming. So Graft was our Sunday album. We listened to Graft almost every single Sunday. John, that is blowing my mind. I remember (laughs) I was so impressed because like we love entrepreneurship and, you know, for you to come and knock at our door, I was like, well, this is pretty cool. And I remember listening to it and uh, I will dig it up, but I'm going to send you a picture of me with your CD. I'm sure I have it in our massive CD wallet somewhere in the other room. So you came to my door and sold me a CD, John. That is awesome. That is amazing. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. That that's, that's yeah. I got it. All right. So yeah. I'm like, I have chills over this. This is crazy, but above and beyond all that, how did right. people receive you? Was that total shock? Well, the first three hours, um, I didn't get anywhere. I, I didn't sell a single CD and I came back with my tail between, between my legs and I was like, uh, this isn't going to work. And my wife said, 
uh, no, you're going to go back out the door and you're going to try again. <laughs> she put, she gently encouraged me and, uh, and that, ter- that changed everything. Um, that, that moment changed everything. I went back out and, um, uh, over the next three or four hours, I just, I, I ran into all kinds of people and, and, and sold, I, I think six or seven CDs that evening. And from that point on, I, I pretty much walked the entire Wasatch front. Um, uh, now I say I did, but my wife did as well. A lot of times it was her on one side of the street and me on the other. And sometimes we had a baby in a, uh, a stroller, you know, doing it too. So for three years, um, we, we had sort of a, a record label of just CDs that I had put out and, uh, and we survived, we did, uh, you know, made it through school on, uh, on that. But as you said, everything went to streaming right after that. So, mm. uh, when once Snapster came out and we, you know, we, we didn't know what the next step was because it was clear, you know, the writing was on the wall that I, you weren't going to be able to, to market music the same way anymore. And uh, so we packed up and moved back to, to Tennessee uh, where my folks lived and her folks actually mm. lived side by side. They moved in. Uh, they moved to a, a lakefront property and split the property down the middle and, and they were neighbors. Wow. So, you don't hear that too often. Tell us a little bit about your wife and how you guys met. Okay. So my wife, uh, she kind of followed us around, uh, followed us around the United States. Uh, although we never knew each other. Um, she lived in Washington state, um, where we lived as well. And then her family moved to North Carolina and then over to Tennessee. And so her family and my family were in the same ward while uh, both of us were out uh, in Provo. And we, none of us, you know, my wife and I didn't know each other at that time, um, but our folks both knew each other. And so when we came home for Christmas break, uh, we met there and we were both in relationships. Hers was, um, really close to, to, uh, to being married, uh, with somebody that she had uh, been dating and mine was just getting started, but, but we met each other without any inhibition and we became really good friends very quickly, uh, because we weren't trying to, you know, put on a show for each other. We were just honest and and talked about, you know, the, the relationships we were in and quickly discovered that there was far more, uh, you know, that we were getting out of our relationship than, than we had in the others. That's great. So this takes you out to Nashville or Nashville area anyway. Did you know what you were going to do out there? Uh, so we were in Knoxville. Uh, we live in, we were living in a, in a, in a barn and, and my, my in-laws had a barn that was a sort of um, renovated into a guest house. But I like to say, I raised my first couple kids in a barn <laughs> and, uh, and I was just looking for anything. Um, I was painting, you know, houses with, uh, an old friend. I was, uh, doing some music jobs on the side where I could find them. Um, uh, but really didn't know what my career path was going to be. Um, and I, you know, I, my wife, uh, again, stepped in and she, we, we found out that there was a, um, a, a, a television network that had sprung up in Knoxville just down the road from us. And so my wife called them and handed me the phone and said, you're going to talk to these people. 
And I said, well, you know, I was hesitant and reluctant, but I, I, I obeyed. And it uh, indeed, they were looking for a composer at the time. Um, so I applied. But she hadn't job. known that. Had she known that? Had she seen it listed? She didn't. But, but there, there was a lot of talk about this TV network that had sprung up. The headquarters was there in Knoxville. And, and so, you know, her family watched it. And so uh, they thought, you know, they thought, well, maybe they, they could use somebody, you know, that composes music. So I, I walked in with my CDs as my resume and said, you know, this is what I've done. I, and it was all instrumental music. So it kind of, you know, was close to where, wh- what they were looking for. So they said, all right, here's a video, score this. And we'll, you know, we'll put you in the jury with or the, the pool with all the other applicants. Um, so I, I did my best and uh, I didn't get the job. And um, I, I was a little disappointed, but uh, I received a, a, a priesthood blessing uh, not long after that, um, that it was, it, it was being set apart in a calling and the blessing had nothing really to do with the calling. And mm. I was told that my music would spread throughout the globe. And uh, I thought, well, that's, that seems far-fetched, but sorry, I'm getting a little emotional, but it's beautiful. It's awesome. And so uh, I went back to, uh, or I got a call from them not, not long after that or during that time. And, and they, they hired me to freelance um, to do music for them for, for Christmas uh, shows they were working on. And eventually um, over, over the course of a year, picking up table scraps and working my way in, I was hired full time and, uh, and I've been there ever since. Amazing. How, so how long ago was that? It's been like 23 years. I want to say it was 1998 or 99. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting close to 20 It's I guess 22 yeah, we do. We do music for, I do music for, we have a team and uh, we write music for shows that range from renovating a house to, uh, you know, axe murder, you know, it's, it, it runs the gamut, but it's mostly uh, non-scripted uh, program. How is that to like, I mean, do you ever just have a show on and all of a sudden you go, Hey, I wrote that. Yeah, a lot of times I'll be listening and think, oh my gosh, I put so much work into that piece of music and they turned it down so low that you can't hear it. (laughs) While you're doing all this, so now you've found this career. And what I love is you talk about just a testament of having a good wife. You come home, I can't sell CDs. Yes, you are. And I'm going out with you. (laughs) And then calling the channel and handing you the phone. I mean, if there's there's ever a testament to a good marriage, that's it. How how many kids do you have? We have four children. Uh, Yeah. We've got uh, one grandchild from our oldest, and uh, yeah. That's really cool. So uh, as if all this creativity wasn't enough, uh, I don't know how long ago this popped up, but let's talk a little bit about Honest John. How did Honest John come together? So uh, once I got my career going uh, at, at, uh, you know, writing music for TV, um, I I became interested in um, in doing uh, cartoons, and I re- I think it was in, at a uh, another family reunion where it sort of popped into my my head, and 
you know, I was, I was going through some, some kind of personal uh, struggles at the time and I needed something to sort of take me away from it. Uh, get me sort of some, uh, an area to sort of channel my thoughts and my, my, my energy. And, uh, and I, 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 there was a, I think there was a comic book or something in the place we were staying. And, and, uh, and as I was, uh, you know, going through it, I just, I realized how much humor, uh, sort of lifted me up and, and kind of gave me, um, what I needed at the time. And so I, I sort of went back to my roots. I think I started, you know, drawing and painting and that sort of thing before I ever embarked on music. Um, and when, uh, you know, I came back, I started trying to learn how to draw cartoons and things. And I, I struck out trying to do it with pen and ink, uh, couldn't afford it for one. To, I mean, and, and I just, I got really frustrated and I found, uh, another kind of workaround again, I, my mind just always creatively kind of looks for ways to go around, uh, you know, obstacles. And I used a dry erase board, um, to create, uh, the first cartoons and illustrations that I did. Um, it was, you know, pretty cheap because you could erase it and continue to use the same board over and over again. Were you just taking pictures of it then you'd, you'd put it up on a dry erase board and then take pictures. Yeah. So I used this, the, the dry erase board that would fit on your fridge, you know, kind of a smaller size. Yeah. And I put that on the printer uh, or the scanner oh. and it fit perfectly because it had a little lip on it that kept the drawing <laughs> elevated from the, from the glass. And it, I mean, it was, it was a perfect solution to my problem. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't uh, waste the the time and money to, to learn uh, to do it the way traditionally everyone was doing it. So I thought, oh, here's a shortcut. And uh, then I started doing cartooning for, Honest John actually started out as an editorial cartoon uh, for newspapers. Mm. Uh, and I was working with um, local newspapers and once, uh, once or twice a week, um, they would feature my, my cartoon, my Honest John cartoon based on something going on in the area. Some, you know, whether it was, a you know, some public issue that was happening or, or, or you know, a, a more of a, a national issue. Um, and so I, I tried to self syndicate and I was in probably five or six newspaper. It wasn't, you know, it didn't get very big. Um, but then again, saw some writing on the wall with the print industry going uh, online and realized, uh, you know, that was going to be a, a short lived career, uh, or side, you know, job. Yeah. When did you, when did you go a hundred percent, uh, Latter-day Saint type comics? That that's kind of when it well I, I I the next step really was uh, was uh, doing children's books. Here's another uh, obsession. Uh, yeah, I started creating uh, a book uh, that I've done sort of a series uh, of books on, and uh, and just loved you know using that little dry erase board to to make it you know illustrations for the book and and I love to write. I love to write stories. And so uh, that started to take off. And then um, I, I published it through an LDS publisher. They weren't, you know, the church, but 
um, but they were in the LDS um, industry and, and they, um, they, they published the book, they published some greeting cards that I did for them. And, um, and I think that sort of led to, Hey, maybe I could do some cartoons, you know, for the church. I started doing cartoons for the new era. Um, and then I just started, you know, once Instagram and social media came out, I started creating, you know, these cartoons I'd been doing for the newspaper, uh, only releasing them on social media and making them LDS based. Mm, it's, it's fun stuff. It's really good stuff. And I want to move on to the books here in a second and spend some more time on the books, but tell us your kind of philosophy behind the honest John comics. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I love telling stories. Um, and I, I'm also a very impatient person. So the great thing about cartoons is you can tell a story very quickly, you know, in, in, you know, in a panel or sometimes several panels. I also do some other cartoons strips. Um, but, uh, my philosophy there was, I felt like, um, there's, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of cartooning in the LDS arena, uh, that was being done there. You know, there's Ari Vandegraaff was one uh, is a great one. Um, Brian Crane's another great one, but he does, you know, uh, pickles, which is a, a, you know, national world renowned cartoon. Uh, but I didn't feel like there was a strip or a cartoon, you know, that was in the LDS uh, arena that, that was uh, relatable uh, on a, you know, a sort of a timely basis that was relevant for what was happening, you know, in real time. Mm. And, I also felt like uh, most of the the cartooning that was out there was was very safe, very uh, sort of typical humor uh, that that everybody sort of uh, you know the green jello or the uh, sure too know, the, too stereotypical yeah too stereotypical and I felt like uh, and, I, and this is something I'm still learning. I'm trying to become really authentic and. Uh, my wife is much further advanced than I am, <laughs> but uh, we all sit in church and we're all thinking things, but most of the time we won't say them. And we, I mean, it's, it probably wouldn't be a, appropriate to say a lot of them, Yeah. Um, but my idea was to somehow bring out the things that everybody's thinking, but nobody will actually say. And uh and what better way to do that than from the pulpit in a cartoon? Uh, so it's a little bit, you know, uh, jarring because you don't expect it. But at the same time, there's, you know, you only have to look at our recent prophets uh, to realize the, the power and the, the the uplifting effect that humor can have. From For sure. So, uh, so as you've probably read, you know, my, my drawings are simple. Uh, most of the time, it's either, a, you know, a, somebody from the pulpit or somebody sitting across from somebody uh, or, you know, just two heads. Um, but it's, yeah. the writing, it's the writing that I really focus on. Um, and, and I I just have fun, you know, poke, poking fun really at, at, at our culture, which is is going through a, a sort of a change right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of the change, talk about your new book, because uh, the new book, the title of the new book, 
I assume is a, a good reference to recent changes. Absolutely. Yeah, it's actually, <laughs> it's pulled right from one of my comics. Uh, it, it shows a little girl uh, who's screaming, uh, you know, her mouth wide open, pointing to her brother and her mom standing behind with her eye, eye, wide, eyes wide open. And she says, he called me a Mormon in big all caps, uh, referring to, you know, now the, the word Mormon is not, you know, yeah. it's not considered appropriate anymore. So it's uh, it's kind of like the the, the the real humor is is the look in the mom's face of, oh, my goodness, how do we how do we deal with this now? Yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, yeah, and this is your second collection of Honest John comics, and this can be found at Amazon if people just search for the uh, "He Called Me a Mormon" or for if they want to search for Honest John comics, they should be able to find it just fine. But uh, "He Called Me a Mormon" is a great name. I to give our our audience an an example, and I don't gosh, I don't have it here in front of me. But when I was looking through your stuff earlier, you had one that just I thought captured. Life as a Latter-day Saint so beautifully. It's a woman at the pulpit, and she's got a massive stack of books and magazines and all kinds of things for her talk. And she says, uh, today I'd like to speak about simplifying your life. Yeah, you know that's just that's exactly what it is you know uh so one of the things you know somewhere i had read you know it said it said comics with an edge i didn't find what i read of yours maybe that says more about me than you but i didn't find it specifically edgy i guess i found especially I, i guess i would say as an endorsement that really what you're what you're laughing about is purely culture you know there's definitely nothing you know doctrinal or or anything that would be found inappropriate have you ever had have you ever had feedback where people have reached out and said hey that's that's not okay yeah i have um and you know i i i it's probably been three or four years i um i i i kind of uh worked through that and realized, you know, I got to be really careful um, because the last thing I want to do is, is offend anyone. Um, One of the things that I've, I've tried to do uh, since that time uh, is take uh, proper names out. Um, You know, I don't, I don't, I don't say brother Jones or sister Smith anymore because you know, there's always a chance that somebody's going to think that cartoon was about them. And maybe that's going a little too far, but, uh, but it's, it's not necessary in most cases. And so I've tried to figure out ways to, um, to eliminate that, that possibility while at the same time, still talking about things that again, you know, you may not talk about from the pulpit in, in reality, but in, in cartoons, it's okay. Tell tell us what your calling is right now at church. I have no calling at the time. We moved recently. Uh, oh, okay. I was released right uh, uh, before COVID hit uh, mm. as, as bishop. I was I served as bishop, um, and uh, unfortunately, that release happened right before uh, <laughs> church shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely a time for bishops that are scrambling. Uh, how cool! must your youth have thought the bishop was he does music for television he writes comic books he writes children's books did they just think they had the coolest bishop ever or what 
<laughs> you know, I, 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 I hope they did, but, uh, I tried to use the humor as much as I could, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a, a wonderful experience. Um, and, and one, one of the most, um, difficult experiences of my life. Yeah. So in addition to uh, the honest John, which is you let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Anna Hosanna. Tell us about, uh, tell us who Anna Hosanna is. So that was the first children's book that sort of popped into my mind. Um, again, back in the days when I was doing editorial cartoons, this story just kind of came out of nowhere, uh, about a girl, uh, who, um, is like all of us and, you know, is, is really fast at saying prayers. Um, she's, she's so fast that she is declared the fastest prayer sayer ever, uh, you know, she, and the front cover shows her on a pedestal. It's, yeah. On an Olympic style pedestal. That's right. And so the story is about her, um, receiving an invitation to speak one-on-one with God, uh, to go to his throne and, and talk to him one-on-one. And so she thinks about this, ex, you know, experience that she's going to have and, and comes up with all these ideas of what she's going to say. And, and, and there's just a laundry list of things she wants to talk about. And, uh, and then when she gets to the foot of God's throne, um, a, a different reality happens that uh, sort of harkens back to uh, her, her tendency to quickly say her prayers. And, uh, and so I'll, I'll kind of leave you, leave it hanging there. Yeah. But uh, there's a valuable lesson in, in spending quality time as if we were invited to the throne of God and, and to be able to sit with him and really tell him what we're feeling. And, uh, and so that was, uh, you know, a, a really fun experience, um, creating the book. And then, um, since then I've tried to market it and, uh, it, it, you know, through LDS, uh, bookstores as well as, you know, independently. And I've created a series based on that character, uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of remarketing, uh, shortly in the next few months. That's awesome. Yeah. How many, how many books are there, uh, in that series? I have seven that are done, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm reformatting and, and sort of re-editing everything. Uh, I, I, I should have probably within the next month or so, seven hardback, uh, uh, stories about Anna Hosanna, um, and her guardian angel kind of is her sidekick <laughs> that, that, that stems from the first story. So, and I also have a cartoon blog that, uh, you've probably seen on Instagram that, 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 uh, follows, you know, her sort of a, in a middle school level rather than, uh, the younger children's. Gosh, you've got so many projects going on, John. It's amazing. Like, it's really, really impressive. Well, I'm learning how to balance my life because it's it can be dangerous uh, to to spend uh, too much time in, with your hobbies and 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 areas that you're passionate about. So I'm I'm trying to right now. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things I'm trying to do is 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 sort of finish all the projects that I've started so that so that I can I clear out clear some room out of my life, but, uh, but it's fun. So now that you've got the, you've got the newest honest John book out, you're getting the, uh, the Anna Hosanna compilations all done and everything done. Do you have a next project that you're thinking about? You want to know what I did last night? Yeah, (laughs) I do. (laughs) Okay. 
this is the one guy choir uh, project. Um, I've always had a dream ever since I was in the MTC listening to the the women and, and men sing. Uh, and I just realized this is the highest form of music, choir mm-hmm. music. You know, just it just blew me away. And of course, I earlier on I'd heard Tabernacle Choir, never was you know in tune with the spirit really, but. Uh, I just realized I've all my life have wanted to write music for the Tabernacle Choir, quite frankly, Um, probably never have that chance. But uh, when COVID hit and and prior to that, uh, I I decided, you know what, I'm probably never going to get to that level yet. But and I don't know how to write music that well on staff paper Um, notation software gets me, you know, a little ways, but. I decided to use the skills that I have as a, as an audio engineer and, and record my voice overdubbing my voice uh, as many times as I could sometimes, you know, 50 to a hundred times. And I've taken the songs that I've written with the intent for the tabernacle choir to sing them. And I just sang them all myself. And so I just uh, finished yesterday um, posting and it won't post for probably two more weeks on Spotify and Apple Music and iTunes and all that. Uh, One Guy Choir by Jonathan David Clark. It's my first CD compilation of of all my choir uh, uh, pieces, uh, original pieces. And uh, and they're all sort of in that sacred music realm that you would hear during general conference, very um, sacred type music. John Rutter is a big influence in in some of that. That is really cool. So if people, you know, by the time this comes out, mm-hmm. likely the music will be out. So so if people can search for one guy choir, what a yes. fascinating procedure. Like, uh, like the whole thing, it must have just been so interesting to try to mix that all together. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting. And I, I think I, I drove my family crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they had to hear you sing 70 what? times in a row in, in different, different. Yeah. In different, uh, yeah different ranges uh that's funny john you are an amazing creator my gosh you are very busy with a a whole lot of projects if people want to follow you so they can always know what's next what's the best way for them to find you they can go to jd clark press uh dot blogspot.com and that's where the hub is sort of of all my different you know my you can get to my music there you can get to my books uh, cartoons, um, or if you wanted to go to any of the, any of the individual ones, you know, Amazon, you can look up my book. Um, you can go to, uh, Spotify and type in Jonathan David Clark and all my CDs, including graft and all the CDs I did back 20 plus years ago, um, are, uh, are up there, uh, as well as Apple music or iTunes. Um, I'm, I'm going to work on a, uh, my website is the next, a big project to tackle. So for now, it's J D Clark Press P E R S S dot blogspot dot com. And then, are you on any of the social media platforms that that people would follow you? Oh, absolutely! If you go on to uh, Instagram, Anna Hosanna Comics, um, or at Honest John Comics, um, those are two of the cartoon blogs and. I've started an art blog with my paintings, but, uh, but yeah. And Facebook, you know, just look me up. Yeah. John, you are definitely the kind of person who keeps our church interesting. I love it. I love that you're attacking it from all these different angles of art. And truthfully, art 
you know, is so important. You talk about laughter and, and how important it is. But I mean, these are things that, yes, our, our apostles use laughter. Music is a huge part of everything we do. Art is a huge part of, uh, of our church, and you're taking part in all of it. I just love it. This has been an awesome, awesome conversation. Uh, we're going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, John, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Well, it means, uh, for one, that you have to take a deeper breath when you say the name of the church, because it's not Mormon anymore. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yep. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, ever since the the prophet uh, announced that name change, and I was serving as bishop at the time, and my congregation will remember this, and and people will will know this about me, Um, every time I get up at the pulpit, I always say it is such a blessing to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I state that every time um, at the beginning of, of whatever I, I do, testimony or talk or conducting, um, because I really believe that, uh, that we need to reinforce the fact that that this is not the Mormon church. This isn't some idea that just came about. This is literally the Savior's church from, uh, you know, his time restored in our day. And I think sometimes we don't really, you know, think about how uh, amazing that is, that angels have returned to the earth, uh, that God and his son, Jesus Christ, have appeared to man in our time. And that is just an amazing thing. Um, so I feel a sense of responsibility, uh, a sense of a, a really humble pride, if you could say that. Um, and, and I just want to use my talents, um, in a way that, that can bring, um, anyone, including, you know, people in our faith, uh, closer to Christ I believe that God uh, is a very creative person, and, and that's you know o- an obvious thing. He created all of us, but He's also very creative in the sense that I I feel I am creative, and, and I feel like that's a quality that came from Him, and I think we all have it. Uh, some of us just haven't had a chance to to develop it, but it, it is it is p- part of the fabric of my testimony of the gospel because I feel that spirit and that uh, enrichment when I use it for good. Mm, Beautiful answer. He is a husband, a father, a grandfather, a musician, a singer, a one-man choir, uh, an author, a comic book author. I could just go on and on. John Clark, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. And a salesman at your door. And a salesman at my door in Linden, Utah. I don't believe that. We got to connect later. (laughs) That is amazing, John. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. And my special thanks to my guest, John Clark. What a good man John is. I so enjoyed getting to hear his story and especially finding out that we had met was just so funny. I went through and tried to dig out the CD that I had bought from him so many years ago on the doorstep. I haven't found it yet, but I'm going to keep looking. But uh, my wife and I, we uh, a couple of Sundays ago, we got on Apple Music and listened to Graft again, and it just took me back to the hundreds of times I have listened to that album. So go check out 
John's music and his books and everything else, and especially his new music project, is just incredible. John, thank you so much for all the good you do in the world. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, you know, I've been trying to become a better man and a better person, that constant strive that we have. And in in trying to better understand myself and uh, just be better, I started listening to an audiobook that's called Atomic Habits. And it's been fascinating to figure out what habits I have that are good, that I should strengthen, and then what habits I need to get rid of because they're destructive. But one of the things that uh, the book talks about, and I did a little more research on it, it's just absolutely fascinating. Uh, in 1951, there was a conformity, uh, conformity laboratory at Swarthmore College, and they did an experiment. I had never heard of this, but they would show subjects a line And then another piece of paper that had three lines, and they would say which one is shorter, which one is longer, and which one is the same. And people would look at the two pieces of paper, and it was pretty obvious. And almost 100% of the time, the, the people in the experiment would get it right. They would say, there's the one that's shorter. They'd be asked that, which, which line is shorter than the one on the first piece of paper? And it was so obvious that almost 100% of the time, only 1% got it wrong and truly got it wrong, didn't understand the question or just thought that it was shorter. Then they took actors and brought them in and the person responding didn't know that everyone else in the room was actors. And these actors were told to give the wrong answer. They were told to basically say, hey, no, that line is the same or is longer. And after hearing all these other people in the room say, yeah, that's the one that's the same or that's the one that's longer, even though the last person knew deep down inside that that line was shorter, one third of the time, the person would say, no, that line is the same or that line is longer. Literally more than 30%, it was something like 35% would actually say, yeah, that line is the same or it's longer, even though it was obviously shorter. And when they would ask the person afterward, there were a few reasons this would happen. Two main reasons. One is they would feel peer pressure. They didn't want to be the odd man out. They said, I knew deep down, but I didn't want to say, even though I knew what the right answer was. And then the second answer was, well, I got confused. I was sure that I was right. I was sure that that line was shorter. But gosh, if all these other people think that it's longer or the same, Maybe I was the one who was wrong, and they began to doubt themselves. And afterwards, some of them just said, gosh, I feel just silly. I knew what the right answer was, but I went along with the crowd. And as I have pondered on what this means in my own life, I've noticed that in the media that I listen to and that I watch and in social media that I read and in all things in my life, I can be the same way. I can be easily influenced. And so I have to be careful when I start reading too many opinions that go against what I know to be true. Now, I want to be careful because I have lots of friends and they have varied belief systems and and think different things than I do. And that's wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful for us all to think different things. But in the things that I know to be true, it is really important that I am spending time reinforcing that and strengthening my belief so that I can stand up and say, no, that line is shorter. You can say all you want. And it doesn't matter if I'm in the room with 10 or 15 or 20 other people. I know what I know to be true. 
One of the habits I've been able to develop, that for which I'm, I'm very grateful, uh, I listen to the Book of Mormon every morning now. That's been something I've been doing for a while, and I enjoy listening to it. I'm That's how I enjoy learning, is listening. I've also been listening to a conference talk every single morning. I listen to one conference talk. And these things reinforce the things that I believe, so that as I go throughout my day, just doing that first thing in the morning, it strengthens me so that when I hear things that are not true or when I hear things that are, you know, go against what I believe, I'm able to process it much better. We need to spend more time in truth. We need to spend more time with the things that we know to be true, with people who believe what we believe. And that's part of the reason we have the podcast, is we have incredible people on here who believe the same things that we do. Sometimes it feels like we're alone. Sometimes it feels like we're the only one in the room who sees the line is short. And eventually it can make it easy to give up and say, okay, the line's the same size or the line's long. But brothers and sisters, if we will reinforce and strengthen ourselves and study and bring all good things into our lives, it doesn't even become a temptation. We just know that the line is short. It always has been. It always will be. Truth is truth. And the more that we study truth, the more we hold on to what we believe. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day Life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. The Latter-day Lives podcast is produced by Gene Chittister, social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier. If you want to reach out to any of us, if you know someone who would make for a great guest, and we've had some awesome suggestions recently, uh, please drop us an email at guest at latterdaylives.com. If you have something we, you think we should share on our social media, please send an email to social at latterdaylives.com. And I can be reached at Sean, that's S-H-A-W-N, at latterdaylives.com. Well, I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>